In today's show, I'm going to take a major, major risk. We're going to talk about life insurance, and I'm not going to put you to sleep. In fact, I promise to keep you on the edge of your seat as I talk about what one of my colleagues likes to refer to as the most misunderstood asset class. Stay tuned. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with certified financial planner, Dan Caprell. I remember as a kid once, my dad took me to see a Woody Allen movie. I'm not sure which one it was. I think it might have been Bananas, which given my age, probably wasn't the most appropriate movie to take me to. But in any case, very funny movie. Woody Allen's uh, movies changed. He went from being just strange comedy, almost like the type that you would see in, in the TV show, The Office, to, I'm not necessarily a big fan of his movies today, but, but nonetheless, uh, this one, Bananas, there was a scene in there where as a penalty for doing something wrong, somebody had to listen to a life insurance salesman and talk about you know, various types of policies. So that was viewed as the most you know, strenuous thing somebody could go through. I've never actually positioned myself when I became a financial advisor as a life insurance person, even though I came up through that industry. I worked for an insurance company and, and primarily on the life insurance side for a number of years before I became a financial advisor. But I've often felt that this is a very simple concept that unfortunately, and I blame the industry for this, people misunderstand. So what I want to do is I want to first just kind of go over some of the, the basics of it. I promise you it's going to be interesting. Right? I know right now some of you are going, oh no, we're really talking about like, no, let's, let's talk about it because this is something that can be very useful for you if you take the time to understand it. All right. So first of all, if you're working right now, you know that every year you work, you earn money. And so between now and whenever you are going to stop working, that's an asset. Your, your ability to earn is one of the biggest assets most people have. Now, the older you get, that size of that asset shrinks because you're planning on working fewer in fewer years. However, if you still got 10, 15, 20 years to work, well, just take your current salary and multiply it times those number of years, and that's still not the amount of money you're likely to earn because of inflation and promotional increases and those types of things. So where I think life insurance is a very simple concept that still confuses people is when they get to this issue of how much life insurance should I have, All right? So the idea here, of course, is you die, so it doesn't do you any good. It provides money for somebody else. Now, if you've already amassed a nice net worth, even though you're working, if that, that lump sum that you're going to leave others because it's your savings, if that's going to be more than enough to meet all your needs, well, guess what? You don't need any life insurance because you have this asset base that you're going to leave them. It's when that asset base is not big enough that we need life insurance. Now, where a lot of people make their mistake it comes when they meet with the life insurance agent. Because if the goal here is to replace the future earnings, then really what I need for the amount of money that I can afford to pay, I need to replace those future earnings. In other words, I need the present value of those future earnings. So what amount of money invested today at a reasonable return would reproduce those lost earnings? 
So if somebody was making, say, $100,000 a year, and they were looking to work for another 10 years, well, that's a million dollars, right? Simple. Well, you wouldn't necessarily need a million dollars to replace a million over 10 years. You might be able to get away with 950,000 because you're going to hopefully get some return on that money. And there's a calculation you do based on what you think the interest is going to be. I would recommend you use a, a modest interest rate because there's no guarantee you're gonna get the higher interest rate. But you're never gonna need that same amount of the you know, the amount that you have yet to earn, you need a number shorter and smaller than that, assuming that you're investing it. And I recommend that you try to fully replace that amount. So if somebody stood to earn, say, another million dollars in their life, and let's say the present value of that was 900,000, well, then I would want you to insure yourself for 900,000, assuming, of course, other people need your money when you die. I mean, other people relying upon you. If no one's relying upon you, then it really doesn't matter. So if you're single, you don't really need life insurance unless you want to make sure that a certain amount of money goes to an organization, a family member, whatever the case might be. But if you're single, you have no heirs. If nobody is financially impacted by your death, well, then there's really no need for you to go out and buy life insurance most of the time. I mean, unless you can think of one, usually you can't. Now, a lot of times agents will try to create the need with you. You know, they'll, they'll try to give you some idea of some people in your life that maybe you should leave money to. But that, that's really your call. That's up to you to decide. All right. So the first thing is we have to have this insurable need. And the second thing is we need to make sure that we fill that need as cheaply as possible. So this now gets to the big debate. What type of life insurance should I buy? Now, personally, I thought that the debate on this was settled. In other words, I haven't recommended 95% of my clients ever buy anything but term insurance if the reason they're buying it is income replacement. Because the idea behind term insurance is I can buy a policy that I pay the same premium for for 20 years. And if I die during that period of time, it pays. And if I don't die during that period of time, it doesn't pay. And because I've made that 20-year agreement with the company, the likelihood of me dying is still small. And as a result, the premiums are much lower. Now, if I want to buy a policy that will pay me, or pay my estate, I should say, even if I live to 106, well, that is going to cost a lot more because you're essentially guaranteeing a claim is going to be made. It's almost like insuring your home with the understanding that it will burn down. So you're obviously going to pay a higher premium. But other than that, if we're just looking to purely replace the exposure, the ability to earn, then term insurance is the most logical way to go. And I said before, I thought that debate had been settled until I started reading what some of my colleagues were writing. Now, there is a lot more to the life insurance discussion than just the death benefit. The other part of it is the cash value. So let me explain. If we go with the term approach, very simple. I pay the insurance company a set amount of money. That's the amount of money they need to insure the exposure because they know there's going to be so many people that they have as customers or, or what do you even call them, policyholders that are going to die. They know that. So they need to collect enough premium from everybody else who's not going to die in order to pay that claim. That's how it works. So if there were, say, I don't know, 100 people and everybody had a $100,000 policy, 
they would want to collect $1,000 from each person. Actually, they'd want to collect a little bit more than that because they have to build in their profit. But that's essentially how it works. They're collecting from others an amount of money that should offset the claim because they know they're going to lose one person every year. They have hundreds of years of actuarial data to give them an understanding of how that works. All right. But when you say that you want insurance for the rest of your life, now it becomes a little bit more challenging. And so what typically insurance companies will do is they will, under that type of, of approach, which is where you're getting into a permanent policy, and there's a couple of main types of permanent policies. One's called a whole life policy, and the other's called a universal life policy. The idea behind those is you're going to pay more money in the early years and pay less money in the later years. Now, the fact that they're charging you more money in the early years allows them to not only A, meet their true insurance exposure, but B, take that extra money and allow you to keep it in the form of a cash value to the policy. So whereas maybe I would have paid $1,000 for term insurance, I maybe now have to pay $4,000 for permanent insurance. If I pay that premium every year for the rest of my life, it'll never lapse. If I become sick, no problem. But since the insurance company only needs $1,000, the rest of it will go into the cash value of the policy. Now, it won't necessarily go dollar for dollar, but there will be cash value there. And the more I continue to pay the premium, the more that cash value should grow over time. Although there will come a point where perhaps the $4,000 isn't enough and the insurance company will need to pull from the cash value to service the policy. The thing here is that what it allows you to do is build up cash value and you can use that cash value later in life if you wanted to. Now, when you invade the cash value, you're probably gonna reduce the death benefit. But the reason that this is offered is because there are instances where people truly do need insurance for their entire life. So if I wanted to leave money to charity when I died, for example, I wouldn't want to go with a term policy because what if I outlived the term? I mean, that would make absolutely no sense, right? I would want a policy that if I live to 106, it pays. If I live to 76, it pays. That's where a permanent policy is necessary. And those are the type of situations where I will recommend one to a client. I'll have a lot of situations where clients will want life insurance to be used to make sure there's a certain inheritance left to their kids. They'll tell me, I want to be able to spend every dollar of my own, but I'd still like to leave them some. Okay, well, having life insurance would do that. Now, often, I don't necessarily recommend they go out and buy new life insurance. I might recommend they just keep their existing life insurance. That works fine, too. Now, the real advantage to the life insurance, whether it be permanent or whether it be term, is the fact that that death benefit gets paid tax-free. So if you're looking to leave that, and when I say tax-free, I mean income tax-free. When you're looking to leave that to your heirs, if they receive a $100,000 death benefit from your policy, they don't pay tax on that. But if you were to leave them, say, an IRA for $100,000, oh yeah, they're going to pay the tax on that. So where there are specific reasons for us to leave a certain amount of money to people regardless of how long we live, then having life insurance well beyond your working years makes sense. Term insurance is only available for the most part during your working years. After that, if it's available, it's going to be very, very expensive. So if you're working, if you've got children, if you've got a spouse who relies on your income as much as you do, then in most cases, I would say term insurance is the right way to fill that gap. Too often, though, I'll see people go out and buy the permanent policy because the agent is selling them on the cash value advantages and all these other things. 
but they're not able to buy as much death benefit as they need. So they're spending $1,000 a year, and instead of getting maybe a half a million dollars of coverage, because that's what they need, they might be getting $250,000 worth of coverage. Well, that's a problem, because first and foremost, we have to ensure the exposure. So if you're working, the first thing you need to do, and in a second, I'm going to show you how to do this, but the first thing you need to do is you need to calculate the present value of your future earnings. You need to have an understanding as to how much money if you had today would replace your future earnings. That's the amount of money I think you should try to leave to your heirs. I think that's a useful number, or at least get close to it, because you need to understand that if you don't, you might only be giving them two or three times your normal earnings, which is two, three years. And if that's not going to be adequate, well, what are you going to do? It shouldn't really be based solely on what you can afford to pay. It should first be based on how much do you need, and then you should go out and try to find the cheapest way to fill that void. Now, if you're older, if you're beyond your working years, the permanent insurance makes sense if you need the insurance for something else when you die. Now, if no one's going to be affected by your death, again, I question the need. But let's say, for example, you'd like to leave a certain amount to charity. Let's say you want to leave $500,000 to your university. Well, instead of taking $500,000 out of the account that you were going to leave money to your children or your wife with, or your husband, you could just own a life insurance policy and name the university as a beneficiary. And you just pay a little premium every year in comparison to the, the death benefit. And that would be another way that you could do that. And actually, if you set it up so that the charity owns, like in this case, the university owns the policy, literally owns it, well, then it's very likely you would get a tax deduction on the premiums that you pay. So life insurance is a very useful tool, but it's like medication. If you have the illness, take the medication. If you don't have the illness, do not take the medication. And if you're gonna take the medication, take the medication that provides the least amount of side effects. So be aware of that. Today, another thing that life insurance agents will often tell you is, oh, the money in the policy not only grows tax deferred, but you can pull that money out through loans and withdrawals tax-free. That's true, but you could also just as easily buy a term policy and invest the difference in a Roth IRA, assuming you were eligible for a Roth IRA, and you would actually come out better. So this is a debate that goes on and on. The insurance agents, they like the permanent policies because it pays a lot more commission than does the term policy. But the term policy for most people, in my opinion, is the most appropriate. So now the next question is, how much insurance do you need? How do I figure that out? Well, that's a great segue to our puzzle solver segment. Okay, so how much life insurance do you really need? Well, what I've done in today's show on the website is I've put a couple of downloads. The first one is going to give you a lot of information about the different types of life insurance policies that are out there. And then secondly, there's a worksheet in there that'll help you calculate the present value of your future earnings to help you determine just how much life insurance you need. Now, you take a look at those. If you're not sure if you have any questions on that, then what you can do is just go to my website, uh, dancapril.com, 
and you can click on there where you can schedule a time to talk with me. Just click for a 15 minute discussion and I'll answer any questions that you have, all right? So it'll pop up, it'll show you what times I'm available. Just go ahead, schedule time in there and I will call you. So just be sure that if you put it down there that you're gonna be there. So you can go to dancapril.com. Uh, that's Dan, C-U-P-R-I-L-L. They'll take you to my company's website. And again, there'll be a box up the top where you'll see it and it's green and it'll tell you to schedule a call with me and we can go over it. But today, in order for you to solve this puzzle, to solve the puzzle of life insurance, download these two worksheets. Again, one of them is gonna take you through the different types of life insurance policies that are out there. The second one is gonna help you to calculate what your death benefit needs to be based on things like, how old are you? How much do you spend for your household? How much money do you currently have saved up? How much money do you earn? Uh, those are going to be key factors in helping you to determine how much life insurance do you need. So go ahead, click on those, and that'll help you solve today's puzzle. All right. Well, I hope you found today's segment to be helpful. I did promise you that I would make life insurance exciting. All right. I don't know if I did that. I mean, let's face it. That's a challenge, right? But hopefully I've given you some insights. Now, I'm going to go back into my newly remodeled closet. No jokes there. You know what I'm talking about. Real closet here. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to start organizing my stuff because just because you have nice cabinets doesn't mean you know where everything fits in. So I have to do that now. So until next week, this is Dan Capril. And I really appreciate you for listening to Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.